Welcome to Podcast on Fire on the Headhunter. Shine your fat as an assassin with a conscience falls in love with a girl is hunted by another assassin. This sounds awfully familiar, but this is not from when you think it is. This is from 1982, and it's a movie called The Headhunter, aka The Long Goodbye. My name is Kenny B, and with me to dive into uh, them early giant fat uh, days is Paul Fox of, at the time of recording, the newly resurrected East Green, West Green podcast. It's back. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Thank you. Yes, uh, we came back for, uh, so far, a single episode. I don't know if we'll have uh, further episodes going forward, um, but um, yeah, it's good to be back, and it's always great to be here and talk Hong Kong cinema with you. And uh, to inform listeners, what, what did you come back uh, with? A small small little 70-minute uh, uh, indie film that no one has heard of, or did you go big? No, we, uh, we, it, it would only take something big to sort of uh, pull us out of our hi- hiatus. And uh, that is uh, S.S. Rajamouli's uh, latest big epic Telugu blockbuster called RRR, which is... Um, it's really gotten some pretty heavy promotion here in the States, and it got almost simultaneous uh, screening on Netflix as it got for theatrical release. And I love the director, and he's big, he's bombastic, and his projects you know, have huge budgets. They're, they're the equivalent of like big Marvel films, but for Bollywood, or sorry, Hollywood cinema. And I was like, Kevin, we gotta talk about this. Um, because we talked about his last big epic, um, Bahubali 1 and 2. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so, um, you know, we dusted off the old microphones and got together. And it was fun because, you know, as I talked about on the episode, for, for me, one of the big problems and one of the reasons we've been on hiatus is because uh, I've not been going out to the cinema um, because sort of our self-imposed uh, quarantine over here with my family and access to, you know, especially Hong Kong stuff has pretty much gone away. They, there's nothing really streaming contemporary Hong Kong movies um, of late. And so it was nice to have something that we both kind of wanted to talk about and um, were very excited about for the show. Would you have been able to go out to see RRR if you had wanted? Yes, yes. There, there, are, screen, there are screenings over here and they've been pushing them, you know, uh, pretty heavily. Even in the past, um, there's a there's a couple cinemas here in South Florida that show a lot of the big um, Bollywood and Hollywood films. So I actually got to see Bahubali two um, cinematically when we uh, went and talked about that when it premiered here a couple of years back. It's it's weird that South Florida actually has a bigger uh, bigger access to Bollywood and and uh, basically Indian cinema. Uh, than it does to China and Hong Kong cinema. Um, but that's just the way that the demographic is, I guess. And they, they, it seems like if I understood things correctly, it's not um, a movie I've seen or may, maybe I'm, I'm not going to, I, I don't know, it's it's not on my radar. Such, but I understood, at least for America, that it's uh, making waves financially, considering the movie it is. Maybe more than expected, or maybe it's backed by a huge campaign, and that's that's how they got the audiences yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think it's a combination of the sort of the reputation of the director, especially from his uh, past couple films. Um, the actors are are pretty popular as well, though. I, I mean, I, I don't think we're talking about the regular general America audience here going out to see this stuff. I, I do think it tends to be uh, more of the, the Indian American audience and, and people who like 
international cinema um, going out and supporting this film. Though I would, I do think that its appearance on Netflix so quickly and and the ranks that it has on Netflix is um, uh, pretty remarkable as well. Unfortunately, it's only the Hindi version on Netflix. And as S. Rajamouli is known um, for pushing the Telugu or Tamil uh, aspects of, of language for his film and his actors um, for his films. And while they do have multiple uh, dialogue options for the Bahubali films on Netflix, this one only has the Hindi version right now. But it's still, it's that's I watched it and it's, it's great to have access to it. I can swear whenever I even browse my local, um, both Netflix and Amazon, there, there, there seems to be quite a hefty, hopefully healthy selection of um, Indian films, whether it's Hollywood or Bollywood. Um, I don't know what it's like in America, but uh, but yeah. Netflix has a good selection and, and some, you know, generally some fairly recent stuff, as well as, uh, you know, some classics, um, a lot of uh, Shah Rukh Khan films on there. But surprisingly, I found a bunch of um, actually Tamil um, films on Hulu of all places, which um, I was I was really surprised that they they have a pretty big library on there as well. Yeah, I know you're you're like I want to go to the cinema, and that's what I'm gonna base my coverage on. But uh, still, if we talk to podcast and future plans, uh, are, you, are you gonna try and strike a balance? You think eventually later in 2022, 2023, covering what's on streaming, what's in the cinema? Like uh, I I know you're a big screen guy, but uh, still, uh, again, it depends. Uh, we we don't like I said. There's um, we had a a small sort of spate of indie stuff. Um, coming out of Hong Kong, and some of that made it onto Amazon and and stuff. But the actual Hong Kong titles on Netflix, even the old stuff, is kind of dried up. Um, Amazon seems to have lost the rights to a bunch of classic stuff. And of course, I was going down to Miami. Um, anybody who's listened to us long enough will remember my tales of the, you know, the the one and a half hour drive down to Miami to watch stuff like Meow, right? So. And they don't even show those now. You know, that's all gone away because of COVID. I don't know if it'll it will even come back. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. I don't get the impression that, uh, for instance, well, go are picking up the latest out of Hong Kong, whether action oriented or not. I mean, uh, just because I know that movie title off my head, off the top of my head, but but I don't know how much interest there is in a movie like Limbo in uh, in america for instance uh, but i know it's getting um, uh, good praise and what have you and there's there's a i think they're on a third breakout brothers movie now which is coming out later this year and i haven't seen the first or the second one you know again you still have the option to order blu-ray discs and dvds from hong kong but shipping has been kind of hamstrung to some extent it's not, uh, and and Wellgo doesn't seem to be releasing a lot. I think the latest thing of interest that I've seen them pushing is um, a Southeast Asian film called uh, Micah, the Girl from Another Galaxy. It's like this yeah, kind of it's kids Vietnam, it's uh, Vietnamese isn't it? sci-fi thing. Yeah, and, and I I you know I'd be out in the, that they're pushing that in the theaters here. I don't know if it's playing near me, but I'd be out to see it uh, in a heartbeat. So yeah, I mean, there's stuff out there. Just Hong Kong is, uh, kind of nowhere to be found right now. Is Gordon Lamb, by the way, Mr. Hong Kong cinema nowadays, or Lewis can't be different? Um, well, Gordon certainly seems to be, uh, you know, making waves, but, uh, I think Lewis is still the king. Although I was talking with Kevin about, you know, where's his two big films that were supposed to come out last year, his big sci-fi epic. And then his, um, 
uh, his TVB into movie carryover, A Step Into the Past. And both have been uh, kind of gotten caught up in post-production blues with censorship and whatnot. So, Since there is a new podcast out there on East Screen, West Screen, why don't you plug uh, where the website is and things like that? Yeah, you can find us over at uh, Kongcast.com. And uh, the show is East Screen, West Screen. And uh, if you see the stuff and want to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. Cool. Check it out, people. It's an enjoyable episode, whether you're... Um uh, planning to watch or 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 not uh, <clears throat> in the meantime uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs including uh, all the back catalog of podcast on fire and all our other shows uh, check out podcastonfire.com and uh, check us out on social media if you want to interact with us uh, we have links to our facebook page and uh, check out our facebook group for uh, the latest updates and what have you as well as our twitter feed and uh, you can find us on apple podcasts uh, stitcher and spotify at the time of recording, there's a couple of Blu-ray discs out there, both for the UK and the US, that feature myself and Phil Gillen on the audio commentary track. For the UK, you have Armor of God, we're a part of that hefty extras package. For the US and UK, you have Monkey Kung Fu, not to be confused with Mad Monkey Kung Fu. This Monkey Kung Fu stars Ching Sudong, future director of Duel to the Death, me and Phil G did a commentary on that. And at the time of recording, fairly recently released in America, is the horror wuxia hybrid from Shaw Brothers called Human Lanterns that features uh, myself and Phil G on the audio commentary plus a plethora of uh, uh, archival interviews with uh, the leading man and um, some of the female uh, stars of the film so it's a, it's a good package uh, so so again uh, I, I was actually surprised that I know they're released in the UK and I know they're released in the US but they're uh, simultaneously coded A and B right so it's not like if you pick it up from Amazon now it's region A only. And if you pick it up from Amazon in the UK, it's region B only. Apparently, the, the deal is so that you can have region A and B simultaneously, which is pretty neat. So you don't need to switch regions in the player like um, like I do, because I have one of those uh, players. So so uh, if you find um, the thought of uh, me and Phil G discussing um, the, the director Soon Chung horror at uh, Shaw Brothers and uh, the movie at hand, then uh, do uh, check out... Um, that blu-ray release or other blu-ray releases and there are more uh, to come in the future if you can break through our accents then uh, more to come in the future we've, we've been reviewed so uh, the accents have come up there's not much i can do about uh, about that so seriously somebody was commenting on your accents yeah extremely thick extremely thick oh. i mean phil is from birmingham but his accent is uh, there's no problem understanding that and uh, i'm from norway australia austria and uh, somewhere else and uh, you all deal with me on a weekly basis so <laughs> that seems to be fine uh, but yeah it's healthy as i've said to be reviewed in a mixed manner some have been very kind some have been not reviewing us at all which i think is a bit of a cop-out um, and some have said well i tried but i couldn't let's take a music break and uh, then we'll be back to discuss uh, the headhunter there is plenty to discuss because the, the headhunter as singular as it sounds, is not singular as such because there's more headhunters to talk about and we'll detail all of that after the music break.
And welcome back, and uh, we're going to cover one movie, but we're going to talk of uh, the alternate side of this movie, called The Headhunter, from 1982, an early Chai Fat uh, movie, and a plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film. Chai Fat plays Wen, an immigrant from Vietnam who works as a movie special effects technician, while also committing contract killings for the Eagles. The one thing that keeps him going is his dream of bringing the rest of his family over to Hong Kong. While investigating a series of murders and an apparent gas attack on an elementary school, TV reporter Vicky Lee, played by Rosamund Kwan, discovers that uh, homicide victims were killed by sarin or Soman gas, weapons used in the Vietnam War. After exploring a series of factories, she narrows down her search to the film company Wen works for, and he and Vicky develops a rocky relationship that turns into genuine love, and uh, upon learning... uh, that his uh, family has died, Wen's family. While trying to escape Vietnam, he also reveals that his employer is manufacturing chemical weapons for the Americans to use in retaliation for Russia's use of Agent, Agent Orange. And when uh, Vicky's father turns up dead, Wen realizes that he was the one who pulled the trigger. And finally, complicating matters further is the character of Kim Tai Young, played by Philip Chan, the other man who plays cops, uh, a soldier that when left behind uh, during the war after he fell into a Viet Cong trap. Driven psychotic by his ordeal and now employed by the Russians, Kim is stalking his former friend, hungry for vengeance. So, Chai Fat's movie after the story of Vu Viet, the claimed one, the one who went to Cannes and everything, and where he also played a Vietnamese refugee forced to kill for money. And that movie would, uh, after that one, would be this one, 1982's The Headhunter for Seasonal Film Corporation. And you're you're probably all uh, familiar with uh, the fact that they've given us martial arts classics in the form of Snake and Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master. But, but also they gave us the initial works of Choi Hucks uh, in the form of uh, Butterfly Murders and We're Going to Eat You. And subsequently they gave us Ninja and the Dragon's Den. And then they took the Hong Kong style to the international stage with No Retreat, No Surrender, One Through Free and King of the Kickboxer, uh, Superfights and Blood Moon. So, so as a company... They they very much led the way when it came to martial arts action um, in Asia and internationally. So the headhunter is this rare genre excursion. Uh, they they deviated at times. If you look at seasonals um, production uh, lineup, uh, sometimes they made contemporary, gritty, and even somewhat political films. In the case of this, but it's also a movie that's um, it was only on VCD, but but I did watch it uh, called Without a Promised Land. That was a drama that had echoes of the plight of Vietnamese refugees and uh, long arm of the law um, type of vibes. Um, so uh, there is that to seasonal. Do, do you remember b- back in the day? Like ca- I, I'm, I'm sure you didn't like catch on that. Oh my God, no retreat, no surrender. Is this Hong Kong film essentially? But do you remember sort of uh, catching those, uh, picking up VHSs and stuff? Uh, you know, the early Van Damme movie and King of the kickboxers and things like that uh yeah i remember coming across some of them this was back in the day when we had a you know, sort of the early years of blockbuster and pretty much uh, a lot of this stuff was m- making its way to sort of the b level uh of the shelves because you realize now that those movies uh, in particular i always forget which one keith vitale and lauren abaddon starred in if i think that was no retreat no surrender free and King of the Kickboxers and Superfight, certainly. They, they really had that Hong Kong style in a Western movie, and it looked really, really good. And uh, so they, they led the way in establishing that way before any Matrix or any Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. 
did so um, and, and made an impact in the West. So uh, they're, they're pretty uh, pretty damn good. And Corey Yoon obviously directed Norwich Read No Surrender 1. So, um, uh, so you have that. So uh, it's a cool catalog uh, that mostly existed for, for action. It, the director of uh, The Headhunter is called Lao Ching Han. He had made the sexually charged thriller House of the Loot in 1980, starring a young Simon Yam. That The Headhunter are part of a five-movie strong filmography, so uh, he didn't do too much. Uh, the Headhunter made about 4.3 million Hong Kong dollars, opening in March of 1982, which was obviously no match for hits of that year, such as the first Aces Got Places movie that earned 26 million. We had, uh, speaking of Anne Hoy, her concluding movie in the Vietnam trilogy, Both People. It earned a respectable 15 million in 1982. And you also have the award-winning youth drama Lonely 15 that earned 10 million and also won an award in the process. And uh, Jackie Chan's Dragon Lord earned 10 million. And another seasonal production, the mentioned Ninja in the Dragon's Den, earned 7.5 million. So uh, Headhunter was uh, trailing, uh, trailing with top 10 or maybe even top uh, 20. Now, here's the rub. Here's the problem. Seeing the Headhunter complete and with subtitles is not the easiest thing. When it did become available on DVD with a new transfer, you know, anamorphic and cleaned up a little bit, but not thoroughly remastered, but it had a new transfer on DVD. Maya released it under its alternate title of A Long Goodbye. So, okay, fine, alternate title, but for, for whatever reason, on the disc was a rather drastic re-edit of The Headhunter, which uh, included the removal of a political subplot in the film. And that remaster, therefore, is about 13 minutes shorter than the theatrical edit, so 85 versus 97. And not only that, the, the original voice looping for the Cantonese track that originally featured Chiang Fat, even back in those days, and doing his own dubbing, that was replaced on the, on the DVD, along with certain uh, music cues. And for instance, the Cantonese and Mandarin tracks on, on the DVD both feature the Cantopop cover of Take My Breath Away as heard in uh, STS Kobai. So obviously even the Mandarin track that sounds older was prepared at a later stage. Do, do you remember of hand, uh, who, who was the singer who did uh, the counterpop cover of uh, Take My Breath Away? Oh yeah, that's uh, Sally. Sorry, sorry. No, no, um, I am, I am, I'm wrong. It's uh, Sandy Lamb. Right, the John Charles theorizes. Um, I don't have a good theory, so I'm, I'm, this sounds good to me, that this re-edit on DVD that you could pick up easily back in the day, The Long Goodbye, might have been prepared for the Taiwanese market. So, you know, using your stored knowledge, watching the film, what they cut, do you think that matches up? Uh, do you think the deletions that we'll detail more specifically had to be removed for a market like Taiwan because it's politically sensitive? Or what do you think? Uh, well, the only thing for me that points to... The possibility of the Taiwan market is uh, as I was as I was looking through the credits on the Long Goodbye disc, um, they're all in in Chinese. But um, the the one song that's listed there, it's not Sandy Lamb's song uh, for "Take My Breath Away." It is uh, another song, um, which I don't know the English translation to. But the singer is a Taiwanese Taiwanese singer named Yu Longhua. My guess is that that was. A, a song that was originally going to be put in. It's kind of like a, a, a Chinese, a Taiwanese ballad uh, of sorts that could fit, but I did not hear that song or any pieces of that song 
either in The Headhunter or in The Long Goodbye. Um, now, that being said, The Headhunter copy that we watched, the English copy, uh, had no credits on the end. There was no, you know, it, maybe originally it might have been in there. Uh, but uh, and it's hard to say. I, I suspect that was somewhat new that credit because it, because it says copyright Headhunter Productions. So it's like really, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, but but yeah, it, it, it ends on uh, very quickly. One one thing that could be a possible uh, you know a possibility in my mind as I'm watching, we'll talk about some of the changes between Headhunter and Long Goodbye. Is that by this point, you know, with DV, where DV, you know DVDs are sort of the more popular medium than VCD or VHS, Chow Yun Fat is a big name, and so part of me is wondering, you know, if they're releasing this to the general public and making these cuts because they want to keep him kind of more in in this positive light, <laughs> rather than being sort of associated maybe with the. Uh, some of the sexy time that happens early on. And I don't know, that's just a guess. Because then you have the political plots that will perhaps uh, detail in a little bit and uh, uh, the use of gas and uh, the connections to the Vietnam War. I don't, don't know if that was sensitive to markets outside of Hong Kong because um, the, the thing is, Headhunter had a subtitle VHS release uh, as well as a VCD and Laserdisc in Hong Kong, but uh, those two VCD and Laserdisc, they didn't have subtitles, uh, but but they were the uncut version, and you could hear Chai and Fat on the on the Cantonese dub track. Um, it, it's nothing I've seen because I never tracked it down um, since it didn't have uh, subtitles. But um, I suppose the closest thing you'll find to an English-friendly uncut print, and what I found back in the day is the three lines English dubbed DVD that runs ninety-seven minutes, and it's also included in one of those Mill Creek. 50 pack martial arts DVD box sets, and it included this one. So, uh, both single edition and the 50 pack editions, they're still out there. The quality is pretty murky, but it was mostly watchable. It's in the original aspect ratio mostly, and uh, even uh, this version versus the older Hong Kong versions, uh, this version had free censorship cuts for violence reinstated in the English uh, dub version and they're, they're also uh, on the DVD that we talked of uh, almost all of them for instance uh, there's the killing of a man using a door to crush his head that's in the English dub version a sexually violent scene is there and a decapitation at the end of the film is also available in full in the English version of Headhunter not quite in full on the remaster but uh, still I think a little bit more than perhaps was there before John Charles detailed in, uh, in great detail in his review, uh, which I'll link to, uh, as he wanted to give an idea of how the Headhunter and Long Goodbye versions differed and how events are changed around and altered. So I, I, I've shortened this bit, uh, of course, uh, but, but you can read it in full if you follow the link. But essentially the movies start the same until the respective title cards and then the English dub print is doing its own thing for a good 18 minutes before syncing up to the version on Hong Kong uh, DVD. So, for instance, we see the murder of a criminal escorted to court earlier in the English version. It happens later in the um, longer by edit. We also see the contract killings by Chai and Fat's uh, character take place at different points in this edit. And one murder victim that was originally taken out because he was a witness is now through editing made uh, made out to be part of the planned contract killings uh, in the uh, in the newer Hong Kong DVD uh, the man who witnesses uh, something at the film lab 
and and perhaps and most significantly the whole subplot about the american and russian involvement has been removed for the long goodbye dvd edit so that's the only thing i can't theorize i suppose um, if this was um, prepared at some point earlier in the um, in the timeline late in the 80s and was deemed to be too sensitive to be part of the taiwanese market or any other market uh, but it's certainly um, it's missing through uh, deletions and uh, redubbing of um, of dialogue for sure uh, but perhaps we'll um, theorize a little bit more throughout the discussion because we sort of built up the fact that uh, whoa this movie has two uh, edits and it's an early giant fat uh, the killer type of movie well, well it's not and um, it's not terribly great either uh, which is, you know, I'm fascinated by these things, but it's not a, it's not a great movie as such. I wonder though if it had time to draw inspiration because uh, of the one year gap from the acclaimed story of Vuvet. If this was sort of like, uh, well, he's acclaimed. He he was a killer in that movie, and uh, we can do a giant fat killer movie, assassin movie. Like let's exploit him immediately. But I don't know if it had time to sort of uh, cash in on the story of uh, Vuvet, but. Of course, the movie has intentions to examine the dark effects of uh, war, PTSD, uh, settling of old scores and the chemical warfare um, that plays out within the higher ranks in politics. And all good intentions, but I don't think the director is very good at uh, painting this a gripping picture or anything. The plot points are there, but they're never executed in any significant uh, manner. Uh, I think Chiang Fat showcases charisma and effective co- coldness and coolness at points, but uh, there, there, there's nothing really here that uh, makes it more valuable than than on a curiosity level, I suppose. Uh, I like having the two versions and the notes on the two versions, but uh, there are some gritty vi- there is some gritty violence that's pretty cool, and uh, the director is suitably hands off in the visual uh, department, so it has a gritty tone, and uh, uh, but it's simply not enough really to engage through and through so i attach more to it on a trivia level that it had two different edits but um it's not a terribly refined film or anything so in a short uh, what did you think of um, the headhunter uh, and long goodbye i suppose wow it's uh, it's not a great film <laughs> but if i had to pick i'd stick with the headhunter even though long goodbye looks better um headhunter seems to be the original in terms of a couple things including musical score and sort of the narrative flow uh, with a couple points on this uh, in a little bit. Just the look of Long Goodbye, um, sort of the, the clarity, the color. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a full remaster, but it, it it looks a lot better. It's easier to see details. There's one point where Rosamund's character is, she's this reporter, and she's out trying to find, you know, potential gas leak locations, and they've got a map and in the Headhunter version, you know, the, the qualities, you, you can't even read the map, but in the Long Goodbye version, you can clearly see uh, where they're at, you know, which district they're in, and, and you can read some of the writing on there. Why are you trying to, like, uh, they're um, better not that in the correct district? <laughs> where, no, like, I just, <laughs> I wanted to see if, because if, there's a shot right before that shows uh, one of the MTR stations, and I wanted to see if, you know, they were where they were. Um, sort of like location spotting. I like to do that when I watch some of these movies. And um, the Headhunter dub is kind of a typical dub for the era. It's not not very good. You know, there's some attempt at syncing, but, you know, just some of the performances are just 
you know, if you've heard a lot of dubs, you've heard this this kind of dubbing before. But it does follow along mostly with what's being said in the Cantonese dub. Um, so it's, you know, fairly accurate translations for the most part. I do think even though it's a remastered dub, um, that uh, Long Goodbye just sounds better, even though, again, it's not sync sound. So, Yeah, it's, um, again, to get in some, into some details, it uh, attempts to paint war as uh, something nightmarish. Uh, Chai Fat's character has nightmare visions of war and uh, decapitated heads and uh, neck slicings. Uh, you know, it's a fabricated memory, granted, but uh, war still lingers. Uh, th- therefore, all of that is sort of pushed very hard because uh, movies at the time during this new wave of filmmaking, even though this is more commercial, I would say, but uh, the violence at the time was still loud and gritty and in your face, and it was not an unsurprising element being close, somewhat closely associated with the Hong Kong new wave that gave us social commentary and some quite direct, unflattering, stylized violence through Anne Hoy's films and Choi Hak's films and so forth. Uh, and, uh, and and then early on in the Headhunter, we, we we get to hear people talk of and news reports uh, talk of the, the the stuff that is completely unmentioned and or deleted from the long goodbye. Like the the pen- we hear in a news report, like Pentagon is accusing Vietnam of using uh, Soviet supplied Agent Orange. And if I understood correctly, and you might correct me, uh, correct me or should that, that that was like a chemical spray that was sprayed over agricultural areas by the US in, in the likes of Vietnam, but it could also cause cancer and other health issues uh, yeah. in the long run. Or, or maybe not just in Vietnam, maybe in Cambodia as well. It was supposedly a like a deforestation chemical, but there I guess there were cases too where they it was dropped just basically dropped on villages and 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 people and civilian, you know, and it just it's a sucky thing to use, especially when you're a big country that's supposed to be, you know, anti chemical warfare. Yeah. And, and also they obviously mentioned sarin gas and that, that that's this vile toxic nerve agent uh, so it it's tapping into that and then offering glimpses of events and violence including China fat murdering away you know and so we're not sure where to side with China fat here uh, so I'm saying all of that because um, I, I can put stuff from the web into my notes and it sounds like I know what I'm talking about I don't because granted g- grasping you know the politics is is outside of my range of uh, knowledge and comprehension. But uh, if you can, I mean, we'll, if we bring it back to that question, if if this you know this export print versus uh, long goodbye, whether it originated in Taiwan or was cut down for DVD, you know, lo- looking at the politics alone and the content alone, in, if you take away the fact that we we shouldn't we, we shouldn't sully Chayavat's image, do you think there's political uh, sensitive political stuff here that you you can't put in movies across all markets or is that way too difficult to tell really maybe at the time when they were doing this um they they were a bit more considerate uh, but i think looking at it now i don't i mean i don't think that that it's it's uh, anything that's uh, you know overtly a big issue i think there are films that are much, you know, much, much worse than this when it deals with either Russia relations or U.S. relations or the Vietnam War, or sort of the dark side of all of that. I, th- this handling in Headhunter felt very light to me, if anything. Um, so uh, I, I, I do wonder if the intent was to try and again, because China Fat was maybe much more popular uh, when they were doing this reissue, that they just wanted to sort of downplay 
any negativity, whether it was political, sexual, or violent, whatever. And, and he certainly is a character we, that we don't grasp in terms of what he's doing is ultimately to be painted in any sympathetic light. He seems like a killing machine. Obviously, he's motivated by family and uh, he's stuck in a, a cycle of violence. You know, just because he's out of the war, he's still st- stuck in a cycle but of violence. But he's still, uh, one, of, one of my notes is that, you know, he was basically Chow Yun jerk in this. I mean, he's not <laughs> a likable character. Um, he has a girlfriend, fiance character named Fanny, who in Headhunter is listed as uh, being played by somebody named Donnie Carpio. Um, but looking through the Chinese credits and over on the Hong Kong movie database, my guess is that it's a character, uh, an actress named Gloria Lee Kalai, and she's only got a couple, a handful of credits. She's got no picture on there, and I didn't have enough time to dig through the couple of movies that I have where she's got a minor bit role to sort of scan for her. But I'm fairly confident that it's her playing that role, and because uh, there's nobody named Donny Carpio that I could find anywhere. He he treats her like trash, and then um, basically, what he ends up making Rosemond do at the very end of this film would put her in therapy. I mean, it's just a it's just a terrible way to treat people. I mean, yeah, he sure is. Um, he sure is uh, scarred, and then so I'm not making these uh, these lifelong positive decisions for for himself or other characters uh, that's uh, very much uh, very much true i mean if we look at the vi- if uh, the violence aspect and how gritty the violence is it, it's effective ruthlessness in a way um, and and you don't see a lot of movies using uh, using gas to take out uh, characters on all multiple occasions uh, so uh, you know he has the strength in him to perform these rather heinous uh, killings uh, and even though the harrowing memories still powers him as well. I'm saying all of that like it's some kind of nuanced thing. It, it, it really isn't because it doesn't feel terribly assured as a film. I mean, the beats are there, mysterious initially, then revealed, you know, the full extent of the plot. And uh, But but there is, really isn't anything to connect to there, this conflict, uh, uh, conflicted uh, uh, killing machine. There really isn't anything to connect to there like other roles would demonstrate later in Chai Fat's career. So when he visits his uh, buddy's uh, grandmother and he has to lie, who's blind as well, so it's super melodramatic that way, and he has to lie about his uh, fallen uh, brother's uh, whereabouts, and uh, he makes up a letter that his buddy wrote to his grandmother just to calm her down. That isn't in anything to connect to as such i can see some glimpses of chiron fat being comfortable here but uh, he's still in this area where he was still a tough sell for audiences uh, not on tv but as a film star and that I, I don't think this is the role for audiences to connect to and sympathize with just because he's a conflicted character who's trying to do the good good and right thing for his uh, for his family he's kind of brash and harsh and the way he comes on to rosamund kwan initially and uh, i don't think for a second their romance is anything well developed either tends to go really fast and it's not convincing that they connect over such a short amount of scenes in a short period of time so the movie isn't doing the those basics very well either i thought or what did you think of rosamund and chowers as the romance core i mean so this is her debut film i guess and she's got some of the charm that 
we would come to associate with her as an actress um, going forward. But um, it's not a great role by any means. Um, she, you know, basically she's just there as kind of the Lois Lane-esque kind of nosy reporter. Um, but the problem is that she's not a great reporter at all, especially if you understand the fact that, you know, her dad is the head of this big triad gang and she has no idea. <laughs> I mean, it's like she's completely oblivious to that fact. Um, and when she starts trying to go after this, the big bad who was like her dad's, you know, junior in, in the gang. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the chemistry between the two of them, I think it, it does build to an extent, even though, you know, it's, you know, it's all going to go bad, especially if you see, if you see the headhunter cut and the way that's paced, because in the headhunter cut, Chow Yun-Fat ends up a little bit of a spoiler here. He ends up killing her dad much earlier than in the long goodbye cut so uh, her dad by the way is a little cameo from taiwanese uh, taiwanese uh, veteran he's done some hong kong movies uh, oh chun hong uh, but very much a, a mainstay of uh, taiwanese movies playing, playing many authoritative figures especially in all those uh, taiwanese uh, war films but uh, he turns up in hong kong movies he's in uh, he's briefly in uh, not not briefly as he has a supporting role in miracles uh, jackie chan's movie as uh, the rival gang boss of uh, Jackie Chan, so that that's him. But yes, uh, yes, essentially like a free scene uh, role here. Philip Chan is one of the better actors here. But when he is introduced, uh, even in the Headhunter cut, uh, I I feel like the director just drops plot beats and elements on us uh, all too quickly. Uh, for instance, uh, Philip Chan essentially is introduced uh, as a character trying to to kill Chan Fat's character, who's Andy in the English dub. And then all that uh, business of Andy feeling his boss has sold him out and, all, and uh, you know, he's hiring him, but he's actually selling him out and uh, perhaps he's planning to have him killed. I, it never reached any, any like, fleshed out uh, status beyond the basic, you know, the big bosses orchestrating in the name of dollars and rubles so suggests this greater political plot. Uh, there's nothing really here to connect it. And some of it, to be honest, Paul, uh, because I'm Mr. Dum Dum here, so some of it, especially when involving uh, the politics and the mentions of Soviets and Cambodia or Cambodia and Vietnam, some of that turned really incoherent after a while. Um, and uh, but again, certainly not, uh, certainly not gripping. But I gather you you didn't uh, think that uh, the movie had a good sort of political eye and therefore a political plot brewing it's it sounds to me that you're like yeah well they mentioned the stuff that they're they're doing but they're not it's not very nuanced this political plotting in your eyes right no i don't think so and i mean even though they they kind of say that you know he's uh the the philip chan character has been sent i you know it's it's really more his revenge motivation i think is much more front and center than anything else that they're trying to to push in sort of the subplotting uh, one, one point on the naming here in Headhunter, it's it's funny because Chow Yun-Fat's character is called Andy, even though in the Cantonese version, Chinese version, his character's name is Yun Lik. So he has no English name at all. But at in the last sort of action sequence of the film, they go to this abandoned building and there's a, a big, there's graffiti all over the walls. And there, at one point there's a big, a um, bit of graffiti that says Andy <laughs> just written there on the wand. I'm like, that's good enough did for they us. Just, did, they, did they just pull that <laughs> from right there and say, yeah, his name's Andy. That's it. Sounds like a good enough, respectable name. Andy, Andy, uh, that name is going to go places. 
in in 80s hong kong cinema but uh not for not for chai in fact but but, but the reason i like philip chan is it's it's a little bit of an atypical role for the other man who plays uh, cops uh, this disheveled psycho i mean granted it's an over-the-top performance but i i do like when philip chan changes out of his normal uh, his normal um, superior affordative type of role you can see it in the um, johnny wang movie fury where he's um he's uh, injured through through the last two thirds of the film but still uh, participates in the uh in the brotherhood trio and the action scenes to a degree but uh, I, I i do like the change up of uh, of image here and not just this uh, suave and uh, all-knowing uh, all-knowing cop so yeah, so there is uh, there is that, uh. and I, I just want to say on Philip Chan. I mean, anybody who follows Hong Kong cinema for any length of time, you're eventually going to come across him. He's more of a character actor and supporting actor. He he's an ex cop, um, you know. So he was a police officer for like ten years, and then he uh, either quit or retired, and he jumped over in, into cinema. So in many of his roles, you just look down his filmography. It's Inspector this inspector chan inspector chan and he's he's usually playing these inspector roles and i'm sure that part of the reason he got pulled over was because of his sort of intimate knowledge and 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 they used him as a as somebody to come on and give them advice um from time to time there's a film called gun is law which i've never been able to track down um where he stars with john shum i'm not sure it seems like he could be the lead in that i don't know if that's his only only leading role um, but yeah, typically he's just um, there in, in supporting, but I always like seeing him when he pops up on yeah. screen, especially in comedies and stuff where, you know, usually he's just an overbearing inspector or, or a superintendent or something. Um, and it, it's just somebody that you come to recognize and appreciate on screen. You know, what, what one, uh, once upon a time when I first watched my first like three or four Hong Kong movies, knowing nothing about Hong Kong, knowing nothing about anything. I mean, I, I was so young and I was so dumb and I'm old and still dumb. Uh, I didn't know if it's uh, that it was a British colony necessarily. I didn't know it was back in the nineties. I was still young, so hearing English so uh, so um, frequently in a movie like Hard Boiled, courtesy of Philip Chan, I was like, "Where's that coming from? Why is he speaking English all the time?" And as a spear, like, "Out, out, out! This is a fucking order." The full sentences, <laughs> what have you, and uh, so, you know, as like basic as the role might be, is it nice to see him uh, revert to something like this instead? Oh yeah, I mean it's always it's always a, nice to see somebody who's more of a character actor sort of step out of their comfort zone or or do something a little bit different. And the the role of a cop in this one is given to Melvin Wong, which is one of the um, changes, I suppose, between Headhunter and uh, Long Goodbye, because here he in Long Goodbye he's uh, part of a police task force that's trying to get uh, get all these killings uh, solved. In the Headhunter edit, he's part of the political branch. Which makes uh, Vicky sort of question why? Why do they have to be involved? So that's one of the cases where they they redub it to remove uh, his uh, origin and character motivation, even though they keep scenes with uh, Melvin Wong. So that's a change up that um, happens between films. So a little bit of a sort of a side story here. I, I'm not a star follower, so you know I've I've seen a few celebrities in my time in Hong Kong, and. I'm not somebody who runs up and asks for a selfie or or an autograph. That's the correct way. I, I feel really like a fanboy and internally geek out the, the few times that I did encounter celebrities out in the wild. Melvin Wong is one of those. 
I was having dinner at a Ruby Tuesdays in, in Shatin, which is now long gone. Uh, and, and he was there with his wife and, um, a, a couple people, like, I think well, they, like the server was coming up and chatting, chatting him up and, um, but he was just sitting there, you know, just typical Melvin Wong. Nobody came and, and dumped, you know, stuff on his dish, like, uh, sorry, my laser disc of headhunter, like Rosamond does here to his, <laughs> to his meal, which is uh, terrible, but yeah, it's just, just one of the weird, you know, the, the, the few handful of, uh, star celebrity sightings that out in the wild that I had over the years. I, I, I probably know three of them because you now I know three of them because you told me the other two and I, I would do exactly the same because I know you told me that uh, you spotted Gordon Liu out and about having a meal as well where, where your McDonald's. wife said like uh, yeah at McDonald's like, like proper proper regular folks do and and I believe you said like you, your wife said to you like go up to him say hi to him and you're like no. He's eating. I don't want to disturb him. Because I don't. I don't want to accuse Gordon of actually eating McDonald's. He was just sitting in there. We were having lunch there, and and he was waiting with um, somebody. I don't. I don't. I think it might have been his handler or assistant. They didn't order anything. They were just kind of sitting in there in the air conditioning. I guess they'd been filming nearby, and I think they were waiting for the. I think a TVB bus or minivan came by and picked them up after a while. But yeah, I I'd actually met him at uh, the Hong Kong International Film Festival. And at that point, there was, you know, he, there was a line of people and I did get a picture with him because it was appropriate. Yes, exactly. And, and I'm not judging anyone for like uh, uh, being brave and approaching a celebrity or whatever, but I, I simply wouldn't do it not when they're living their uh, daily lives. I, yeah. I just can't. And, and, and the third one I remember, uh, and uh, I suppose uh, there was no other way to, to handle this other than uh, to be a proper man was when uh, Michael Chan Wyman sat next to you. In, yes, Michael on, Chan. on the bus and simply sat next to you and that's yep. and what did you and do said, for the rest of the trip me. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and what did, did you do for the rest of the trip you had the rest of your trip and yep, did that's nothing it. and read or listened to music like uh, like a normal person the other one the other big one for me was um alfred chung um was having lunch at the canteen in the building that i worked at and was like sitting a table over eating and discussing something with a colleague and uh, I was like, oh, God, that's Alfred Chung. And I like sent off a text to, um, the, you know, the movie group, um, Kozo and, and a bunch and Kevin and a bunch of people. I'm like, I'm literally sitting a table across from from Alfred Chung. And, you know, I wasn't even going to sneak a, a photo of him or anything because I didn't think that was appropriate. It would have been too obvious. But um, that was probably the time I was like most tempted, I think, because I'm such a fan of him, especially his early work as a director. And I really wanted to just go over and say, excuse me but you know your films are part of the reason i came to hong kong thank you and i didn't i'm like nope not appropriate not gonna do it just gonna admire from afar so nowadays you would just shove him up against a wall and t- and angrily shout at him where is her fatal ways for where is her <laughs> yeah. fatal ways for motherfucker <laughs> like it's not mine i don't own it get away from me please please actually i do own it i just can't watch it because <laughs> it's on ld and my ld players long died uh, some other notes that, that that I thought was laughable, but maybe it was a good journalistic trick. Speaking of uh, Rosa McQuan not being a good journalist, okay, because she in the Headhunter edit she researches that uh, there might have been sarin gas or salmon gas used, and uh, she asks her, um, we, we, she she says uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, the actor Tang, uh, what's his name, uh, Tang Ching, he. In Headhunter, Kat, I think she mentions that uh, she says Uncle Tang. 
at one point. So it seems like they know each other. But he obviously denies that any such uh, gas or chemical has come uh, his way. So what does she do? She stages a photo. Uh, taking two containers, two plastic containers that, that probably held uh, like gasoline or uh, water. And then writes in letters, Sarin Soman. Then places that on a pile and takes a photo of it. Like, no chemical name, no proper label, just a childish, squiggly, squiggly sort of serine, and then shows that photo to Uncle Tang. Like, oh, I found it. I found the gas that you, or the chemicals that you said you didn't import. You got me. <laughs> and he, he, like, oh, I do remember. I do remember that we had some <laughs> on order. I thought that was so, such weak source for someone in control as a uh, big old gangster leader like Uncle Tack or Uncle Tang is that he fell for that but I, it did, did make me laugh because it was so it was so transparent and yet he did f- uh, fall for that so maybe, maybe in 1982 journalism that, that was uh, good enough I suppose so. yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna stage the evidence um uh, one thing that may be confusing for some of the audience out there as they encounter this is that Apparently, Rosamund's character has two uncles. So because she refers to sort of the big antagonist as uncle, he's actually her dad's kind of junior in the the triad gang. Um, but that's sort of like a, a title that, you know, they would she, she would say to him, um, not a direct blood relation. But then there's a scientist she calls Uncle Wu later where she goes to the government and is trying to find out some through some government documents about the amount of. The, the recordings of gas or, or, or chemicals. And, you know, she's like begging him to give her some information and she's calling him uncle. Wu, and I think that he is, may actually be a direct blood relative, right. although it's not, it's not a hundred percent clear either. So. Yeah. So my final notes, I thought the second half in particular, even though the, 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 the film is not riveting as a whole, but the second half, in particular, I thought it was very sloppy because there's tons of quick developments and unseen and unheard developments. So all of a sudden, boom, and his friend says to Rosamund, oh, we heard back from Vietnam that his family died and he's distraught. And there's no real good build up to that. And then, you know, I started to find it even more confusing, the conflicts between the eagles and the bears and the manufacturing of gas. Uh, other than Charlie Fat's boss was supplying it uh, on, and it was a little bit more world stage stuff as a matter of fact with, so- with the Soviet Union and Americans and that affects more than just the Hong Kong crime world but I still thought the second half was very sloppy and uh, as I said I didn't think the romance between Rosamund and Charlie Fat was, uh, was very well conveyed because it just happens very very quickly uh, from uh, from meeting to going to a refugee camp to kissing and uh, there was no real emotional hook there then when when you get the finale which has some welcome grit and some loudness in that rundown uh, seems partially demolished house you know it, it, it's welcome to a degree I, I do like parts of Chai Vat and Philip Chan's final confrontation it does verge on being quite effective you know echoing sentiments of killing and the flashes of violence in Chai Vat's mind versus the violence he still has to commit 
And how do you get out of that? Some of that verge is unaffected, but it really doesn't get there, especially not when it's been very quick and very sloppy in, in the second half. Um, and Because it's such a core emotional element of Chang Fat wishing to provide for his family so they can go back to Hong Kong. And all of a sudden, they're dead. And neither cut does that well. So I thought... Um, some some really weak uh, some really weak storytelling in that uh, in that regard. So I think I'll conclude my notes right there. I have some brief notes on uh, what was deleted and redubbed. Uh, not not that I'm supposed to share them all because or- orally it's a, a bit uh, a bit difficult to do so. But uh, I might scan through them and see and see if we should talk about any other differences between the cuts but uh well why don't i hand over to you to see if you want to share anything else uh, from from the film we'll we'll talk about some of the changes between um the two edits um and i know that you mentioned that in in, uh, mr charles when he did his coverage he said the the movies kind of sync up about 18 minutes in but actually there's a there's a lot that doesn't sync up at least in the in these two particular versions i watched I watched Headhunter first, and then I watched it side by side with Long Goodbye on um, two parallel screens, and it was a constant stop. <laughs> and and okay, wait, even I, I don't think the films actually sync up until almost the very end when um, Chow Yun Fat gets exploded on set, and and pretty much from that point on, it kind of goes through to, to the end. But there's a lot, even even just like little scenes that are kind of taken out of sequence and, and put somewhere else. Um, in, in some cases, uh, we won't talk about all of them, but there are a couple that are that are notable. But um, just in terms of sort of the technical movie errata um, that I, I noticed, there's an elevator hit scene that um, one of the assassinations that Chow Yun-Fat's character is tasked to do. And it's actually a pretty clever scene um, itself in the way it's done. But when the guy he actually kills... Um, he shoots him, he falls back into the elevator. It goes from the shot of outside the elevator of the guy sort of falling in and he falls kind of on his side and you can see how his legs are positioned that he would kind of be like almost rolling over onto his stomach. But then it cuts back to Chow Yun-Fat looking down at him and then back to the guy on the floor and he's like sprawled out on his back. His legs are kind of like, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a very sort of noticeable thing where they weren't just, they were just like, okay, guy's dead, take a picture. And it's just completely at, with, at odds with the physics of how he falls. The, there's a popsicle-sucking assassin um, er, very early on in the in the Headhunter cut. Um, he was actually Chow Yun-Fat's a friend friend uh, called Aman. And he does his hit, and then he's trying to run away from the cops. He gets shot. He falls from very high up. And you can briefly see the fall bag that he hits pop up in the bottom right of the screen as he hits it. Probably they were accounting for a certain aspect ratio and then with um, you know some of the re-edits it's, it's very noticeable on the long goodbye cut so yeah those are just a couple of the the, the movie uh, bits um, and we'll get into some of the actual scene shifts yeah i want to mention also first i, I don't notice these things uh, very often the needle drops but uh, when i do notice them it's because i'm very familiar with the score uh, during the f- uh, sequence set on a film set where they're filming a western starring western actors they uh, drop in the score by Goblin from Dawn of the Dead. Uh, it's not that, if you're familiar with Dawn of the Dead, it's not that, but rather more of the 
music that leads up to it some of the music that plays when they're exploring the mall in dawn of the dead but uh, they 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 use that and that, that pops up in a uh, in multiple hong kong movies uh, even in um, one of the re-edits of uh, master with cracked fingers during the uh, end fight of one of those uh, re-edits they, they drop in the, the dawn of the dead um, score by goblin so we mentioned the following. Uh, we, we 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 talked of that, that they used the the Canto pop cover of uh, "Take My Breath Away," which means that both Cantonese and Mandarin tracks were prepared at a later date after 1986 when Top Gun came out. And I don't think Sandy Lam had even done. A- was was even uh maybe even recording at the time this movie was made. So so they they, they use that uh, as replacement music versus Headhunter. There is a scene where Philip Chan is mightily annoyed with a blind person playing one of those mouth organs with keys. I don't know I don't know what they're called, but uh, obviously he, he's playing a song on the street and that annoys him. And there there's a song on the Headhunter soundtrack. The, the song that they put in the Cantonese and Mandarin tracks, I don't know the song. I only know that I recognize it from A Better Tomorrow. It's the song that the children's choir is singing in A Better Tomorrow. Towards the end of it, T. Long has a, a, a dialogue scene with Emily Chu. And in the background, you hear, and, and later when, when the scene is concluded, you, you see the children's choir sing that song. I don't know if you recognize that offhand, if that's a famous number or not, but that's where I recognize it from. No, I missed that one. Uh, so uh, it's it's obviously without uh, uh, vocals here, but uh, that's one of the changes here. And just a few minor notes, I suppose, uh, if you had if you watch both of these, uh, for instance, there's a press conference that takes place 20-30 uh, minutes into Headhunter. That's in Headhunter about the gas attack on the school, but it takes place uh, so early in Long Goodbye that the redubbing and retranslation makes it about the string of killings instead. So they use the same scene but change up the content. And throughout there's uh, redub, uh, redub lines and retranslated lines to avoid mentions of other countries targeting uh, the Vietnamese, uh, that this plot actually covers more countries uh, like Soviet and Cambodia and what have you. So. Uh, there is that, and uh, redubbed and erased uh, is uh, most verbal traces of the actor Tang Ching running a film lab at all. You know, they, he's more in production because uh, he takes uh, Rosamund Kwan's uh, character to, to the set. But they, they, in Long Goodbye, they're sort of trying to keep the fact that he runs a film lab a little bit under the under the radar. And obviously, with, with the gas leak in the school, Rosamund Kwan's character. Uh, her, you know, her findings on sarin and the other gas, that's not revealed. She doesn't look up the definition that's completely deleted from the long goodbye. And uh, the visit to the refugee camp is in both versions, but in Headhunter, it plays out with music and no dialogue. And in the long goodbye, there is uh, a little bit of dialogue about the tragic plight of uh, refugees. Uh, and uh, so there, there, there are changes akin to that and it's interesting to see but uh, you know ultimately i think uh, headhunter it plays out better a little bit more a bit, a bit more coherent it doesn't seem to be as jumbled and changed around and and after all is said and done it is the seemingly the original cut and whether the longer buy originated as a taiwanese alternative in the 80s or as a dvd uh, alternate edit I can't say, but it's neat to watch both, but I, I probably wouldn't pick at this point. 
uh, long goodbye over the headhunter. If someone uh, was neat at their job, they would acquire the Hong Kong Laserdisc and put subtitles uh, on that. I'm not that person, but uh, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be neat to have the original with at least Chiang Fats uh, dubbing. Who who knows if Rosamund did any of her own dubbing uh, back in the day or at all? But um, because I don't know her voice as such, uh, like you know a Chiang Fat. Headhunter all the way and the version that you can get on DVD is uh, more than watchable and certainly understandable as well. But uh, if you're curious about um, how how a movie can change, whether for a different market or for a later, you know, post-millennium DVD release, then there there are two versions of uh, sort of the same uh, same story to watch here. Yeah, I just wish it was in the same uh, quality as Goodbye. I wish that they had remastered that. I've seen worse. It's uh, it it's it's mostly you know these prints when whenever something gets dark they're they're completely screwed and uh, this one verges on that but mostly it's very watchable. Yeah, there's there's a couple things in uh, Long Goodbye that really kind of just uh, ruin the narrative. For example, there's a elevator assassination. Uh, the elevator assassination scene that we talked about um, is actually one of three hits that uh, Chow Yun-Fat is ordered to, t- to carry out. In Long Goodbye, that happens very early for some reason. Um, and then later, around the 18-minute mark, he actually gets three papers of the, the guys he's supposed to put the hit out on. And one of the guys, one of his the guy's picture is on that paper is the guy he already killed. Yeah, but um, what, what they're trying to do there, I mean, that's sloppy, it is. But what they're trying to do there is the third one they're trying to create is... As I mentioned, the, the the person in the film lab that is uh, is a witness, so they make the him guard. exactly the security guard. So they make him the third victim. But you're right; they they still show the pictures, uh, so it doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah, and and he actually is ordered to kill the security guard uh, much earlier in the film, and he doesn't want to do it in Headhunter. He's like, uh, do I really got to do it? I mean, he's just a security guard; he's not a bad guy. So it's it's a bit more sympathetic you know how that's portrayed out i think in headhunter also in headhunter there's a scene where roseman gets chewed out by her bosses this happens after a raid that she leads with melvin wong's character on the the bad guys film studio but in long goodbye they put this scene right after her taking the photos at the government center where her uncle Wu kind of walks off and says now don't touch these documents they're important don't touch them and he's basically leaving them there for her to find and then she gets chewed out for taking legal photos. It's it's they, they it's a complete change of the scene. It's very weird, very strange. And then the the raid scene is taken out um, altogether. Um, so that scene doesn't doesn't happen. They just end up getting into the uh, the bad guy wanting uh, Chow Yun Fat's character to, to take her out. We we might as well mention one more thing. Speaking of changes, um, there is a sex scene in uh, the Headhunter. But what do they, what do they do with that sex scene? In the long goodbye, you uh, uh, you wrote to me about this. There's some uh, some some nifty um, romancing here. <laughs> this is the thing that makes me wonder if they kind of modified this because of the celebrity that had um, Chow Yun Fat had become by this point, and one can maybe move him away because there's no category three rating at this point yet in Hong Kong. Um, and not that this scene that there's there's no real nudity of any kind, but it is a lengthy sort of steamy scene, and um, Originally, this scene has is early on. Chow's at a club and he picks up a club girl played by um, Flora Chung, Chung Tinoy, and 
takes her back to a love motel and and they have this scene and this scene you know plays out over a minute or so they take that scene completely out for for a long goodbye and then they take like the very last few seconds of frames of that scene and put it at the end as a love scene with Rosamund Kwan and Chiang Fat but it's very clear that that's not Rosamund Kwan it's not her hair it's not her face I mean and I guess they just thought, ah, nobody will notice. Take you know, my breath like, away. <laughs> da, da, da. You're, you're, inf- you're, you're enthralled by the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was weak source, I thought. Okay. That, that's really juggling footage, uh, trying to create something that isn't there. But, uh, yeah, that was amusing. Um, there's also a scene in uh, Headhunter that's cut. It's one of the violent scenes that's cut, which was is, it's kind of weird, but maybe it's just the amount of blood um, that's being shown. Um, where the studio boss, one of his cronies, comes back. This is after they've tried to kill Chun Yat-chan and failed when he was on a movie set. And then one of his cronies comes and says, "Hey, boss, I, you know, I know I failed, I messed up, but I need more money." And the boss is like, "Yeah, sure, okay, and you know, I'll take care of you." And then he locks him in a room and fills it with gas, and basically he just starts puking blood all over the window. And they cut out the scene right at the point where the boss just walks away. So it's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take care of you. And, and okay, nothing bad happens to that guy. So you assume he's, you know, the, the boss is going to take care of him. Yeah, there, there's the gas content again uh, that they, they wanted to avoid for the long goodbye. There was this, or an early scene where Chai and Fat's killing somebody with a, and they both have gas masks on um, at the movie studio very early in headhunter that I think that scene is also completely removed probably for similar reasons that was a uh, an odd scene even in headhunter it was like not entirely clear what was happening it was kind of dark and you don't see until later that uh, actually Chow young fat is one of the characters when he pulls his mask off yeah that's a um, the sort of a uh, ladder we have to climb towards uh, are we going to find him sympathetic because um, he seems like a killing machine and a very um evil one at that not just shooting but uh, but uh, gassing people to death so alrighty let's uh, let's do some availability and uh, getting the original cut dubbed in English on DVD is actually still easy it's available on its own for about five or ten bucks on on eBay uh, the the alternate cut longer by I did find on the Amazon marketplace but uh, as the seller didn't ship to Sweden uh, our, our very own Paul Fox uh, helped me out by ordering it and sent the DVD to me and that was also available at a good price I don't know if there were multiple copies available but that was also available at a good price so collecting these English friendly versions if you want to compare these two versions in particular it is actually possible still if you can't find the the, um, Headhunter version on its own there is a 50 pack martial arts box set that's probably 20-30 bucks or whatever with a lot of public domain cropped kung fu movies and on a couple of discs and this one is uh, included amidst uh, all those 50 uh, i believe it's mill creek that uh, put that out so if you if you find the headhunter uh laser disc in the wild uh, you of all people paul uh, if you could have a working laser disc player but you of all people are probably have a better uh, uh, ability to um to, to watch this without uh, subtitles you know if you ever came across a headhunter in its original unsubtitled form on um, Hong Kong home video. Yeah, it only costs like $5,000. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you caught the news there was this big auction in Texas a couple days ago. They were auctioning off 
old VHS tapes of like, you know, big, big movies like Back to the Future and The Goonies and stuff. And, and uh, apparently going for like tens of thousands of dollars really? for these tapes. I mean, mint, mint, mint condition for most of them, you know, are very good condition. But I'm like, really? So uh, I think the I think the Laserdisc market's about to have a massive amount of inflation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't buy too much anymore and I keep it local because shipping of those items is uh, quite expensive. So uh, I, I buy a variety of them. I buy anime if I can uh, or buy some Western movies or uh, Hong Kong movies that were put out in cooler versions via Tai Seng. That stuff on Laserdisc I, I buy, but I, I, I keep it local for the time being because... Um, even if you find something, oh, wow, uh, Headhunter for five bucks, shipping 85, you know, so <laughs> it, it really, the, the, the ratio is kind of off uh, off there. One thing I, I, I did forget to touch on with uh, both cuts of these films is that there is a pretty violent and unfortunate scene um, that happens to Chow Yun-Fat's girlfriend slash fiance, again, uh, played by this actor who I believe is Gloria Lee Kalai. So there's no nudity in in this movie, even in the sex scene and then sort of this violent uh, rape scene that happens. Um, there's no nudity at all. But again, it's pretty violent. I mean, at one point, this guy stuffs a fish in her mouth. I mean, like it just a looks like a real fish, not a prop fish. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're really kind of going for it. So, you know, just be aware that um, there's no there's no rating on this. But <clears throat> if you get this, this is not something you want to kind of have. Uh, you know, playing with your tykes, kind of running around in the background. Um, because you learned that the hard way. No, no, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> you, you know, you, you know, you know, Hong Kong movies are gonna switch on a dime, so you might as well watch them in your closet. Yeah, um, and it was interesting too. As I said, I watched both of these in parallel, and even though sometimes I could get them perfectly synced up, um, for some reason the long goodbye cut runs a, a tad bit faster. It would, it would always. It would always run a bit ahead. And in some cases, um, there were very clear scenes that were being sped up. So, um, for example, the, when the assassination plot against Chang Fat's character happens on this movie set, there's like a a big explosion that happens on Long Goodbye. That's very much sped up. Uh, also, there's a decapitation at the end that seems like that is... Uh, sped up ever so ever so slightly and also it's that decapitation sequence well, well one the, the the sexual violence sequence was one of the original sensor cuts so it's probably not on the in full on the hong kong laser disc and vcd but that decapitation sequence is the it seems like it's reinstated to a degree but you only see the head fall to the ground and the blood splatter on the headhunter version longer by you only see the blood splatter and not the head hit uh, hit the hay so uh, yeah. that, that, that might have been something that they couldn't remaster or simply found objectionable to a degree. So uh, therefore, I prefer Headhunter in that regard. That we, that we sort of get the full, uh, the full uh, version and sensor cuts uh, reinstated because for the, the export version that, that this is didn't need to adhere to Hong Kong censorship standards. So they could keep that uncut throughout the years. Um, and uh, while, uh, while, while the recommendation was... Uh, was given to it in in Hong Kong, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I I do these things to, as I've said before, plug up gaps in the uh, coverage of uh, actors and directors and what have you. And um, sometimes uh, covering movies that that has some trivia attached to them. In this case, alternate edits, neither of which is um, ideal. That's an angle to podcast coverage that I enjoy, and thankfully it seems like I can 
rope in one or two people with me to to uh, to enjoy that with me and discuss that with me and you're certainly one of those i mean i did a full all four versions of master with cracked fingers covered with uh with uh, michael scott of the a4e podcast but he, he's kind of a geek in that regard as well that uh, even if it's intolerable the material the the fact that it was prepared this way and even if you can't figure out why, and even if you can figure out why it was prepared that way, it's utterly, utterly fascinating uh, to to do a deep dive on. And it seems like you don't object to it necessarily, even if you aren't a, even if you aren't the person that are looking at like I find f- f- found three more frames in this version <laughs> of this. Blah, blah, blah. I, I know you don't not that they know about it, but uh. yeah, no, I mean it's 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 interesting to see the changes that are made and, and speculate why they're made, you know, for various reasons that there's a scene I forgot to mention in that lengthy sort of rape scene that happens with uh, Chai and Fat's character during that scene in headhunter, Philip Chan calls Chai and Fat to tell him it's going on. He's like, I got your girlfriend and I'm having my man do this to her. And then Chai and Fat rushes there with his buddy and finds her. But in the long goodbye, they take that scene out. The rape scene happens. Chai and Fat finds her with his buddy, just like, oh, we're just coming back home. And then they have Philip Chan call him, and this time he says, I did this with my man, now uh, I want you to come out and meet me. So he's using it kind of as a lure to come out. And, and you wonder so, why that matters, though, uh, that, yeah. ju- that, that, that juggling, uh, because it has nothing to do with, like, uh, the, the Soviets uh, told me to uh, to rape your girlfriend. You know, it's not. it doesn't contain any uh, of that possible sensitive material, so... Uh, who knows but uh, Hong Kong movies are that type of mystery sometimes like why is that scene missing from this version when it was in all the other versions that kind of thing uh, it's one of those partially frustrating things about uh, collecting um, Hong Kong films on video we wouldn't be here if we uh, if we didn't like it even where we don't like it no but I would say if you're just a general Hong Kong cinema fan Chow Yun Fat fan that I do think that overall the headhunter cut the, the the narrative flow of it is a bit uh, more solid um that's the one to dig up long goodbye looks much better but it just feels very um off and disjointed at times and, and also if you look up uh, the hand hunter on youtube it is on there but for some reason it is about seven minutes shorter than this english dub dvd that we're talking about so um it's uh, I don't know what is missing or why, but uh, if you're interested in it, do try and uh, track down uh, this uh, budget um, DVD. Even though it might have been 99 cents back in the day, and five ten bucks now, that's still a steal. And uh, so yeah, go get it if you're interest- interested. So thank you to Paul for um, enduring uh, during this uh, and uh, setting up uh, dual screens to take in uh, the entire experience and. Uh, so uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, uh, go to podcastonfire.com. Links to all the different shows we have on there. Bonus episodes, uh, social media links, and uh, what have you. And of course, uh, John Charles' review of uh, The Long Goodbye is a very thorough uh, one where he so he grades both versions. He, he, he for instance, he, he rated um, Headhunter a little bit higher, like 6 out of 10, and uh, Long Goodbye 5 out of 10, saying that it streamlined somewhat. But the re-editing and uh, changes works against uh, works like the effectiveness of the film gets reduced through this re-editing. So we're going to link to that review because he did a good deep dive on uh, on these two uh, 
There it is. But uh, that's uh, the plug for me. Uh, you have for now an active podcast. I hope you pop up again. So you should plug it uh, once more so people can check out the, uh, the enjoyable discussion on RRR. Yeah, we are East Screen, West Screen, and you can find us over at Comcast.com. And wherever you get uh, podcasts. So um, good, good. Thank you, Paul, for, um, for uh, doing this deep dive with me. And uh, we'll do something else next time that might not be as uh, demanding. To, uh, maybe I'll do something that require free screens next time. <laughs> free versions examined. Yeah, uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> but no, thank you for having me. It's always a blast to to get in the weeds and to talk about this stuff with you. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, yeah, this has been Kennedy and uh, with me was uh, Paul Fox of the Screen West Green podcast. So he gets the final word and uh, he, he, he gets to do a short goodbye. Not a long goodbye, but a short goodbye. Take my breath away. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to sing it. <laughs> <laughs>